If you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're new or visiting, just thrilled that you're here with us. We love to worship Jesus. We do that by uh, singing songs. That's why we were just singing what we were singing to remind ourselves of the great work that uh, Christ has done in him and through his work giving us righteousness that is not our own and giving us an obedient life that we could not ever live and dying as our substitute in our place for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God and ultimately have uh, life evermore with him and reconciliation and forgiveness of sins. So we're grateful that we do that. So we, we sing to, to remember why we do that. We also sit under the teaching of God's word uh, so that we can be reminded of what Christ has done in the scriptures. Jesus is the uh, focal point of all that you will read in uh, these 66 books. And so regardless of where we're at, we love to drill down and, and find ourselves always leaning into Christ and his work. Um, we also observe uh, the Lord's Supper each week. You might come from background where you, it was called communion. Uh, regardless of the name, just want you to know what it is, what it's not. It is a uh, gift that we believe Jesus gave the church for us to be nourished as we remember again the saving benefits of Christ and in breaking his body and shedding his blood. So we remember even through the act of taking the Lord's Supper that, that this is not about us, it's about him. Uh, it's not about our righteousness, it's about his righteousness. Uh, it's not about our obedience, but his obedience through us. And so um, we also love to give generously as an act of worship because God gave us generously in Christ. And so we uh, give on the silver boxes on the back wall. And I always say if you're not a regular attender, remember we are not interested in your money. We would love you to know this Christ and know this Jesus and worship him with a whole heart. So um, we are going to pray and then we're going to dive right into the text this morning. So uh, before we get to work. Father, thank you that we have the Bible. Thank you that we have your scriptures to uh, hear from you. Thank you that you're not a God that desires to uh, hide from us, but uh, you readily reveal yourself uh, through conscience, through creation, through your written revelation. Thank you that we can open up what you have said to us so that uh, today we can be more transformed in the image of Christ and uh, so that our joy might be full and you might get the glory. Uh, we pray for those uh, this morning who are not with us, if they're in places where uh, they just couldn't be here, we pray you keep them safe and that you would encourage them in particular ways this morning as your sons and daughters. Uh, help us as we look at Ephesians 6, help us to understand what it means to stand in the spiritual battle. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ephesians 6. We're doing, here's what we're doing. We normally take a, a whole book, if you've been coming with us, and we walk through uh, books of the Bible, uh, just, just kind of chapter by chapter, line by line, to give you uh, the whole counsel of what God says. And every so often, God might lead us to uh, talk about a particular aspect of the scriptures, looking through these verses. So we uh, really felt that the Lord was leading us to Ephesians 6, um, where we look at the spiritual realm, Satan, demons, and the spiritual war that is at play. Um, and so we started last week, and we're going to go up to like verse 18. Um, and look at the weapons of warfare the next four weeks. So um, really what I want to do this morning is very, very simple. I'm, I'm actually going to do a little bit of review, uh, and then I want to bring you to verse 13 and camp out on verse 13 to help set you up for how you grab hold of the weapons of warfare. Um, I believe it'll transform how you even see verses 14 to 18. And so uh, before we get there, Ephesians, we mentioned last week, if you're uh, new to the Bible or new to uh, even the book of Ephesians, it was written by the Apostle Paul. He was a zealous rabbi, rabbi who... Uh, hated Christians and was persecuting Christians and killing Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, Jesus saves him, reveals his glory, shows him mercy. And Paul goes on to basically plant and be a part of the greatest missionary church planting movement the world will ever know. And as he starts these churches, he um, ultimately will either write back to these churches or send someone back to encourage them, to rebuke them, to challenge them, to sharpen them. And this particular church, Ephesus, which he founded, ultimately hands off to a young pastor named Timothy. He is writing 
being inspired by the Holy Spirit to share with them things. Now, um, if you want to understand the book of Ephesians in two words, it's position practice. That's all it is. So um, he spends the first three chapters just heralding who you are in Jesus Christ. Uh, He spends the first two chapters basically saying, this is what's true of you in the gospel. He forgives you of sin. He adopts you as a son and daughter. You are uh, as rich as Jesus is in the sense of spiritually. You have the spiritual riches of all that Christ owns and all that God has. You have his comfort. You have his love. You were dead. Now you're alive. Then he rolls into this prayer in chapter three saying, I just, I've got to pray that you would even be able to fathom the magnitude of this work that Christ did for you in chapters one through two. And then in verse chapter four, he basically bends into, this is now how you walk, live, operate. This is how your position affects your practice. Okay. And he talks about how to grow in sanctification and put your sin to death and how to walk and live in marriage and in the family and in your work. And um, then he ties it up here in verse 10 of chapter six basically to say, um, you can get all those things right, but if you are ignorant of, if you do not pay attention to the spiritual war that's at play, that there's a third variable to be aware of, then all could be lost. You could, you could strive and work, family, with the empowerment of the gospel. If you forget that it's not just you and God and us together, but there is a real enemy who is a real person who is really at work, who hates, opposes, and disguises himself, who is subtle and clever, uh, namely Satan and all who would follow him, um, then you're, you're really not walking and living the life that you should walk and live. And so Ephesians 6 makes this really clear. You have to factor him into uh, almost everything. Uh, that behind the scenes, there's this demonic, there's this satanic, cosmic, supernatural war that is at play. Um, uh, There's the church, there is God, there is God's people, and he wars against them. See, um, some of you think you were coming to church today. Uh, You were coming to war. Uh, It's not you just showing up to church, right? Life is not a playground, it's a battleground, it's not peacetime, it's wartime. Many of us are totally unaware of that. Uh, That even now, Satan's after your heart. Uh, he's after to get you to believe things that aren't true. Uh, he's after to disguise himself and, and allure you and entice you away to a life that will be destructive. And, and he wants, God wants to lead you to life. So um, I realize that there are some of you maybe even here today that you, you don't believe in uh, Satan and demons. But we learned last week that the, t- the terrifying danger of that is um, looking at Lucifer, who was Satan, and how he fell in his pride. He usually tempts and tests all of us through our pride. So he wants you to not give yourself to an authority. He does not want you to believe that there is someone better than you and bigger than you. He wants you to be calm and satisfied in your kingdom. He doesn't want you to believe that you're part of another kingdom where you're not king. Uh, This is Genesis 3. This is why the fall happened. Because Adam and Eve wanted to not be under what God had said, and they wanted to believe for themselves what God should say and how the life should be. And so that's how he tempts us and how he tests us. And he, he wants... Paul wants us to know that he is real, powerful, and at work. And we also shared last week, you also need to be careful. You don't make too much of him, and you don't make too little of him, right? So there's this overemphasizing and underemphasizing work. Anytime you talk about Satan and the demonic, man, either Satan's in everything, right? Made me eat the donut, made me run over the nail so I couldn't get to Bible study, made me gain weight. No, you're either just not controlled, you're just a sinner, you have flesh. Uh, That's why those things happen. The other aspect is don't diminish him or be ignorant that he is real, um, don't, don't believe that he doesn't exist. Don't, don't factor him into particular 
circumstances and aspects of the Christian life. And so uh, we're going to do a little bit of review, 10 to 12, and then I'm going to camp out on 13. And here's the three things you continue to see through this entire text. You know your enemy, you know your king, and you know your weapons. It's going to keep coming up. You know who your enemy is, you know who your king is, and you know what your weapons are. Uh, Verse 10, let's revisit how he starts out. He says this, finally, so he's wrapping up all that he said about the great glorious work in the gospel and all that you are in Christ and all the aspects this affects your practice. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Remember, Paul assumes that you and I are going to need strength that you and I don't have, but is given to us, not from within us, but outside of us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? So he's showing us here that we need to remember who we are. And he says something profound. He does not say, become strong. He says, be strong. And here's why that is so huge. You're already strong. You already have. He just said, read chapter one. He already finished telling you all that is true of you if you are a son and daughter in this great gospel. He says you're strong. He says you have his peace. He says you have his strength. He says you have his forgiveness. He says you have his righteousness. He says that you are alive now. You're no longer dead as a doornail in your casket. You've been made alive. You've been awakened by the gospel. So he says, hey, be strong. And don't be strong in you. Be strong in him. Because ultimately, it's always him. You aren't strong. I'm not strong. He's strong. He says you need to know the surpassing power of toward those of those who believe in chapter 3, and he's reminding you of it, saying, be strong in the strength of his might. These are present realities, not a past celebration. And this is huge to see in this text. What's Paul doing? He's reminding. I sound like a broken record, right? He just re- almost all the New Testament is reminding us of who we already are and what is true of us. Being a Christian is the process of becoming who you already are. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're just continually realizing whose authority is in you, whose power is in you, whose strength is in you, whose spirit is in you, as you continually grow and walk and progress as a child of God. And so he's saying this. He's saying you need strength. And remember that it was given to you in Christ and Christ alone. So as you view the supernatural war, before you even get to the weapons of warfare, Paul is saying you got to look at it through the lens of what you've already been given and what you already have. Not this new secret. The secret's Jesus and his work in his gospel. So we need to be reminded of this. Why? Because we, if we're honest, spend so much of our life chasing what we already have. I mean, if, it, if it's true about us, that, that who we are in Christ is, and being a Christian is the process of becoming who we, we already are, we're born again, we're regenerated, when we're made new. If that's true, right, about us as Christians, then our prayer life maybe should alter itself. Because uh, most of us, you read this text, you're like, all right, God, I need strength. He's going, I gave you my strength. Man, I said in Philippians 4, I mean, you have my strength already. It allows you to do anything in my name. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I need peace then. I just need peace. Would you give me peace? I already gave you peace in the gospel. You have my peace. And I said it surpasses your understanding. Maybe you should pray that you understand the peace that's already in you a little bit more. Right? Or, or, or then, okay, I need love then. I just need to feel loved. 
I need your love, God. He's going, I, I mean, are you crazy? I mean, in the gospel, is there any more profound way that I poured out my love to you? You've received my love primarily in the personal work of Jesus Christ. You don't need more love from me. You have it. It's promised. It's set. Okay, well, I need grace. I need grace. I already said my grace is sufficient for you. You've been given my grace for every day of trouble. So, so instead of us constantly viewing as if we're like JV in the kingdom of God, that, that the Spirit kind of selects teams, that in the kingdom of God, all who are his are given the same Spirit, and as we take the weapons of grace and the gospel afforded to us, we continually are reminded of and we're strong in that which we already have. That's Christianity. So it means to walk in the gospel of grace. This is why Paul, when he wrote Timothy, this young pastor who took over this church in Ephesus who he's writing to, he says, hey, above everything else, of all that I've told you, don't forget Jesus Christ, seed of David, risen from the dead. You know what he's telling Timothy? Hey, bro, beyond all the encouragement and, and stuff I gave you with church planting and how to handle this church and how to don't let people look down on you because they're angry at you because you're young, man, you stand on the doctrine that is true and even though people are harassing you and doing all these things, he goes, remember who resides in you. Remember, seed of David, his humanity. Remember, his, he empathizes with you in weakness and then don't forget he rose from the dead. He is in full authority over all cosmic powers and authorities. He's not only alongside you, he's in you. Timothy, don't forget Jesus Christ. You'll see it all over in the scriptures. This is why if, if you don't know who your king is, if you don't know who you fight for, you'll never fight well. That's why he says in verse 10, be strong in the power of his might. You need to know this. It's not your fight. Is this your church? No, it's his. Is this your war? No, it's his. He's king. It's his kingdom. We're just soldiers and servants. You give the orders. We'll follow suit. Man, it's his war. It's his battle. It's not yours. So you don't be strong in you. You be strong in him. Because it's his war that he's fighting. And so that's why he shows us we're strong in his might because it's his war. We're not the king. This is not our kingdom. He's king and this is his kingdom. And he is waging war for us. Um, this is why people come up to me often and say, Pastor Mike, I just, I just want to know the secret. I'm like, what secret? Tell me. I think they're onto something that I'm not even aware of. No, like how, how do you just keep going? How do you make it? How do you, and I'm like, I don't. <laughs> it's not me. It's not the power of me, man. When I try to endure things I'm called to endure and I rely on myself, I get destroyed. Man, I could be strong in his might. When I try to accomplish things that I'm called to accomplish, when I try to live as a pastor the way God's asked me to live as a pastor, when I try to do that in my own strength and my own self-sufficiency, I fall apart. When I lean on his strength and I'm in the power of his might, things go well. I endure the things I am called to endure that I cannot endure. I'm called to do the things that I'm asked to do that I cannot do on my own, and then he gets the glory, I get the joy. That's the Christian life, amen, right? That, that's what it means. So the secret is Jesus, the secret is his might. The secret he's laying out for you before you even get into warfare is know your king. I know who's you are. I know who dwells in you. That's by the strength of his might. Friends, all God is asking you to do is everything that you can't do. Did you know that? Did you know that that's what it means to be a Christian? 
All God's asking you to do is what you can't do. You ever felt that way? God, I just can't do this. Can't believe you're asking me to do this. How could you possibly ask me something to do that I can't do? He goes, okay, good. You understand your orders. Right? Be strong in you? No, be strong in me. Oh, okay. No, you're strong in my might, my authority, my goodness. You want to endure that? Lean in me. Oh, okay. I understand. Got your orders? Okay, got my orders. You can't do it. Okay, got my orders. I'm awesome. You're not. Got my orders. I'm strong. You're little. You're puny. I'm uncreated. I made you. Right? I got the orders? Got the orders, right? He's king. His kingdom. We're servants and soldiers. He says, just be strong in my power and my might. Here's why it reminds us of verse 11. Now, if that's understood, you can put on, verse 11, the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, because we don't wrestle flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, we wrestle. We wrestle. Anyone ever wrestled before? Like, on a, okay, I wrestled in high school. Anyone ever had a sibling? Ever wrestled your sibling? It's exhausting, right? That's why wrestling is only three rounds and only three minutes each. Like, that's as long as you can go. He says, hey, he, he basically equates this imagery in, in this warfare of wrestling. Doesn't it feel like that? Exhausting? I mean, this is the language. The language here is you can only handle so much, which is why you're constantly going to need strength that isn't yours because it's a wrestle, not against people we learned last week, but against the cosmic authorities in present darkness. Remember, those who disagree with you in doctrine aren't the enemy. Your neighbor's not your enemy. Your spouse isn't your enemy. Your, your, your people in the church aren't the enemy. I mean, there's a real enemy who does exist, who works behind human agencies. But you've got to have your eyes open to this. So he says, you wrestle. That's the language here. Man, isn't ministry like that? Isn't serving Jesus like that? Isn't planning a church like that? Isn't trying to, to endure in marriage like that? It's, it's a wrestle. Man, isn't preaching the gospel like that? Isn't laboring in your work like that? Isn't it the, this wrestle, this is hard? Some of you say this is exhausting. I feel like I'm going to run out of energy, opportunity, perspective. It's exhausting. He says, that's why you need my strength. Because you're wrestling something that's far greater than you. But don't forget your king. Don't forget who's you are. And we're reminded that the enemy has schemes. And we talked about this last week on the cosmic level. That there's uncountable demons and adversaries amidst the uncountable angels in this cosmic war, yet it also filters down onto a human level where it's very real and tangible. This is Genesis 3, Eve tempted, being tempted by Satan. You learn in Zechariah 3 that Satan opposes and, and thwarts God's work. You see in Matthew 4 that he comes and speaks to Jesus and tempts him. You see in 2 Corinthians 4 that he blinds the minds of people from the glory of the gospel that is Christ. You learn in the parable of the soils that he comes and he tries to snatch the truth away from the seeds that fall on hard ground. Peter talks about him. Paul talks about him. James talks about him. Jesus clearly talks about him. He was used behind Judas, used behind Pilate, used behind all all of these different systems and places and human agencies. So he, is, he has schemes. He is real. We cannot be deceived. He blinds. He discourages. He lies. He opposes. That's why that word schemes means to stalk. It's that imagery in First Peter. He prowls like a roaring lion. He's subtle. He's clever. So we say, man, if you know that Satan's behind something, it's never going to be just blatantly obvious. 
Like it's it's not the guy showing up with one ear foaming at the mouth and he's got like I don't know a Metallica T-shirt. That's not. That's not like oh man, gotta watch out for him. He's a preaching. He's a pastor. I gotta watch out for him. I might want to listen to him. I don't know, but you know what I mean. Like like you, you want to look out for the one that that seems. And it's disguised. It says he comes as an angel of light. That's why I told you that he loves to lure people astray by false doctrine. That's one of the main ways that he leads people astray. Paul calls it the doctrine of demons to Timothy. Be so careful. He's got a full buffet system, and it'll give you something for the legalist. Yeah, just pray more, just do more, more acts of service. Just be nicer, try to work up your ante, climb the ladder, and he's got all, everything for the licentious person. Just don't believe in him. Just be an atheist. Just be an agnostic. Just live in immorality. Just pick your, pick your treasure. Pick the meal that you want. All the while, Christ, the solution to the need, the solution to our deepest longings is sitting, the one thing they want. So he would love people to seem like they're giving lots of good truth, plucking out the very essence of truth. This is why a lot of popular sermons, it's all positive thinking and make me feel good and think about me, and it's all bending towards the sufficiency of man. He wants you to believe that because you actually want to believe that. I love feeling like I'm awesome. Who does it? Man, what's, what's, is there any difference, man? And another friend, you're just, you're crushing it. You're awesome. Be big and strong and mighty men. He says the opposite. Be strong in his might. You ain't mighty. You ain't strong. You're going to need help in this war. And if you're prideful and fall along to his deception to think that you can overcome this war, you're going to fall prey to his lies and his deceit. That's what he's been building for us in this. And this is why he loves to snatch the truth, which is why earlier in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul says, equip those pastors and teachers to teach sound doctrine. Why? So people don't get thrown to and from by every wave of doctrine. Why? Because he loves to snatch the truth. He loves you to just, oh, yeah, yeah, no, this, this seems good. Oh, man, this seems good. Oh, yeah, this seems cool. Let's just add Jesus in, sprinkle him in to my big ice cream sundae. He's in there somewhere. No, the whole ice cream sundae is Jesus. The sprinkles are Jesus, ice cream's Jesus, sauce is Jesus, the cup is Jesus, the spoon is Jesus. I just thought of that. That's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, you got to write that one down. Hold on. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. That was great. It's all Jesus. But, but, but think about this. Isn't this so helpful in understanding the weight of right now, though? Like, you ever thought about that? Like, every Sunday you come to gather together as the people of God, you, you are hearing truth, and you know that he wants to snatch truth immediately before it falls. Or he wants your heart to stay hard, not grow soft, so it could take root and lead to a life that flourishes. He wants you to stay bitter and angry. He wants you to stay resentful. He wants you to stay unforgiving. He wants you to not see the glory of Christ in the gospel. He wants you to not believe you're forgiven. He doesn't want you to ever believe there's any hope for you or how you ignore all that's true. He wants to snatch away the truthful seed that's falling right now. I mean, the weight of, of, of just us being distracted, right? I mean, that's why it's a war to get here on Sunday. Right? I mean, we don't need any help to say don't come, right? I mean, we don't need the moron weather people last night going, man, I mean, just, just ice blocks are going to fall from heaven. It's going to crush you. 
right? They're gonna be 18-wheelers jackknifed and everything. I'm watching one channel, I thought it was New Jersey, and I'm like, oh, that's insane. Find out it's Chicago. I'm like, oh, okay, it's not, it's not even here. Don't wake up tomorrow, don't go outside. There are gonna be snow monsters just waiting to devour you. It's just insane, right? I walk out of the swim, I'm like, where, birds chirping, deer like frolicking in my yard. Like, is this the same? Am I in New Jersey? Like, what, is this really what, churches are canceling, doing services? Like, what is, you, like, you don't need anyone giving you a reason to program in your head, oh, good, I don't need to go gather tomorrow. Couple that with the spiritual realm. Praise God that he got you up and brought you here to sit as a means of grace, Right? Yeah, to, to nourish you with the word, to be, re, to be reminded of what's true, to be able to throw off the things that entangle you. He knows you need this, so he'll give you every reason. Just stay in bed. It's warm. It's comfortable. Just sheets of ice. People are dying, right? I, just keep thinking that stuff, right? Like, he'll do it. He was totally behind those weather people last night. He was totally behind it. My wife and I were looking outside, like 8 o'clock. It's pouring snow. I look outside. Babe, where is it? I, Anyways, I love this though. Should we react in fear to all he said? No, no. Look at verse 13. Therefore, based upon everything I just told you, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I want you to see stand. You saw it in verse 11, being able to stand. You see it again here in verse 13. He wants you to stand firm. Stand firm. I want to spend the remainder of our time briefly on just that word stand because I believe this is everything when it comes to you battling the spiritual war. It's everything in you understanding how to grab the weapons of warfare and use them rightly. Uh, It's all in you understanding what it means to be in this battle. So when he speaks of standing, he's not talking about you standing still. He's not talking about something static. Like there's movement and there's maturity here. He's not talking about reacting in fear. You react in readiness, right? Listen, the church of Jesus Christ is on offense, not defense. Like, you need to know that. Like, so often we read this text, you, you picture yourself just bunkered down, like, get all the helmet, the shoes, the, the shield. I'm just going to hide. I'm just going to go away. I'm not going to go out there, even though Jesus said, hey, uh, now he didn't say put your fence up. He said, go out there as sheep among wolves, Be shrewd and wise. Man, advance the kingdom of darkness. Matthew 28, great commission. Go make disciples. Don't sit back and wait for disciples. Like, go do it. Plant churches, man. Get the gospel established. The church is on offense, not defense. The church does not wait for the kingdom of darkness to ascend the hill. It's already at the top of the hill, knowing that we've already read Revelation. We've already won. We already have the keys to the kingdom. Christ is already gonna stomple and trample and forever and finally throw demons and Satan and all who would follow him into eternal torment, right? We, we operate, we, we pray from a place of victory because we already know. So, so listen, understand, when he says to stand, man, this is, this is Paul says, Paul's saying in this text, victory awaits and victory is promised on every evil day. Well, when's the evil day? Any day that evil comes. Any time that you feel him at you and coming towards you. So let me show you something. Flip to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be on the screen. 
I want you to see the same word stand, and it's, I, I, give me a minute, because I want to use this to ultimately circle back to why this is so important in dealing with standing firm in the spiritual battle. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, look at what Paul says. Same writer to a different church. He says, now I would remind you, I love that, so much of the scriptures is just reminding. So many of us want something new, and Paul and the scriptures and Jesus will say, you just need to remember all the stuff you already know, and you'd be okay. So he says, I'm going to remind you, brothers, of what? The gospel. Well, that's great. I mean, he's been saying this guy, I mean, just a broken record. Let me remind you again. You're like waiting for the what, what, what? Give me something new, a new secret. No. Christ died, rose, gifted, empowered. He was reminded of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and don't miss, in which you stand. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before or caught this before. He's reminding them of the great news of the gospel, that Christ lived for you. He died. He was buried. He rose. He gifts his Holy Spirit to all who would trust in his name. He protects. He's for them. He's no longer opposed to them. You're a friend, no longer an enemy. You're a son and daughter, no longer a slave. Right? He, he, he reveals all this amazing truth of the gospel of this church. It's the, last, the second to last chapter in Corinthians. And he's basically saying, I'm going to remind you again of this, which you believed in. That's what it means to receive. And you're not just believing it, you're standing in it. So here's what's, here's what's huge with this. His concern is not whether they just believe the gospel. His concern is, are you standing in it? And that is huge. I mean, we know Jesus over and over goes after, after just like a, a simple mental ascent, right, and believing in something. Like, you can't get away from that in the Bible. He goes, oh, the demons, yeah, they believe me too, and they shudder. They ain't saved. They're not going to heaven. He goes, yeah, a lot of people are going to come to me and say, oh, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons. There's all these awesome things. And he goes, I don't even know who you are. Okay, maybe you believed it, but did you stand in it? Because standing reveals, if you read on to verse 2, there's a way to believe in vain. He says that in verse 2. So if you're not standing in the gospel, then there's vain belief. So we want to know what's standing. Then what does it mean to stand firm in this wrestle against the cosmic rulers, powers, and authorities? It's this great, amazing news of Jesus Christ taking your sin, gifting his righteousness through that work, empowering you with his spirit. Are you standing in it? That's the question. Or is this some strange hobby for you? Where like you just believe these things, but it has zero bearing when you walk out of these four walls. Like, do you believe it? Some say, yes, I believe it. But does it affect how you do marriage? Yes, I believe it, but does it affect how you love your neighbor? Yeah, I believe it, but does it affect how you view work and relationships? Yeah, I believe it, but does it affect how you steward your money? Are you standing in the gospel or are you just believing it? Believing it's true. Believing it's real. Or is it something that, man, you're, you're making movement and maturity in? So take a look at Romans 8. Romans 8, I think, is going to show you how to stand and how not to stand. Um, you can go to Galatians 5 and see the same thing. Romans 8 says this, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, 
but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Okay, I want you to see this. So it's all this heart, mind, setting your mind, setting your heart, right? Your actions, your affections, right? That, all that you'll hear that throughout the New Testament letters, right? So this, there's one way to live. It's where you set your mind and heart on the flesh, okay? And he said, that's, that's when you're not standing in the gospel, okay? Uh, there's another way to set your mind and heart, and that's in the spirit, and that's how you do stand in the gospel, so let me just kind of give you an example of, or, or help you kind of think through this. Um, what this means is, even according to, to 1 Corinthians 15, Ephesians 6, and even Romans 8 is, you can intellectually believe in Jesus' cross resurrection, but because you have this independent spirit that's in us from birth, right? Genesis 3, I don't want to be under authority. It's the pride of man. Because you have this weird I don't know, suicidal love affair with self-reliance. Like, you just can't get away from that. You forget the whole Christian life is be strong in his might and lean on his gospel, not you. So because you're tied to you, you can't set your mind on the spirit. You constantly set your mind on the flesh. And here's how this plays out. And that's, that's a way that you're not standing on the gospel. So, so here's what happens is, you really care little about what God loves and worshiping God. You just got, love God's stuff. So what you'll do is you'll, you'll hear a sermon or something, and then you'll leave, and you'll just attach his name to it. And you'll think as you attach his name to it, you're somehow now putting your mind and heart on the spirit and not the flesh. So here's, and, and here's why this is so dangerous. Is, is this is the person who, week in and week out, sits under preaching, listens to sermons, reads their Bible, and, and there, is, there is no flow of setting your mind when you leave or stop listening to that particular thing. It's still, I've got this. I can do it, right? I'm the overcomer. I'm the one waging the war. Here's why that's so dangerous. That's so dangerous because this inevitably bends into how you view your struggle with sin. So you constantly view your struggle with sin from an independent lens. And here's what I mean. You come and hear a sermon. Let's say it's an awesome one. Okay, so you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. The pastor or whoever's preaching or the podcast or you have discipleship, you meet with someone and they, they address a particular sin issue that you're dealing with, that you're feeling, whether it's bitterness, it's just dissolving relationships, whether it's you're just a pathological liar, you can't stop lying, whether it's sexual sin, sexual morality, just, the lust is just overtaking you, whether it's marital, I don't know what it is. So, so you hear that and the first thing you think of is, okay, I'm going to change, right? I'm not going to do this. You, even in that thought, man, you're, you're, you're tied to your independence, your suicidal love affair with you. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make much of me. I'm going to free myself. So listen, here's the danger. If it's an awesome sermon, you might go like one to two weeks, like overcoming that particular thing. And if it's really bad sermon or it's just a bad meeting, you might go a day, right? But eventually... You burn out, you run out of steam, you're tired, and instead of running to the gospel and standing in the gospel when you sin, you're so self-reliant, you're so independent, that even he wants to wash you with his love, wash you with his mercy, you wait until you can somehow get back to that place of cleanliness, and then someone invites you again, you go back to a service, sit under a sermon, if it's good, it lasts a couple weeks, if it's bad, it's this cycle to where ultimately, here's that leads to, total despair, or 
where Jesus doesn't work and this whole thing's a sham. And I'm telling you, you've never stood in the gospel. Like, like you're, you're setting your mind on not the spirit, but the flesh. So, so the spirit goes in that moment of stumbling and falling. It remembers who Christ is. It remembers that he loves me in the state. It remembers that I've got weapons afforded to me in the gospel, so I get up. I don't go to church based upon how I've performed. I don't listen to things and view my Christian walk through what I have overcome. I view it by setting my mind on the spirit, remembering Christ overcame every bit of what I'm struggling for me so I can walk. Now, one stands and one just believes. And the person who stands over time begins to see increasing loveliness to Jesus and growing in grace. But, but so often, you're not standing anywhere near the gospel. You're still standing in you in your self-reliance, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to fix me. And man, I don't care how long you go. I don't care if you got years where you can, you know, band-aid your struggle or cover up that secret sin. Eventually, it'll be exposed. Eventually, you need someone outside of you who resurrected themselves. You need a God who is in full authority of all kingdoms, dominions, and powers, who can take your dead heart and make it alive, who can give you a, a new mind with new desires, with a new heart, with new affections. That's what you need. Man, you don't need more of you and your might. You need him and his might. You need to be able to stand in what you believe, in which he says in verse 2, you are being saved, in case you don't believe in vain. Now, here's why I say this, is the mind that's set on the spirit and the heart is in a place of constantly remembering its dependence on God for everything. It never says, I'll overcome this. The mind of the Christian doesn't say that. The mind of the Christian says, I can control my actions. I can't control my heart. I need someone to change my heart. And the more you remember that, it pushes you headlong into Jesus Christ where you remember his grace and mercy in the cross, where it reminds you of the weapons afforded you in the gospel, where it reminds you of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that resides within you, to where you start standing in the very thing you believe, your mind's set on the spirit, it's not set on the flesh, and then you start walking. I mean, brothers and sisters, that's where you start feeling the true weight of Jesus. Did you know that? And like, I don't know if I'm making sense. Like sometimes when I say things, I'm like, it makes sense in here. I don't know if it's making any sense when it comes out of my mouth, but I'm praying the Holy Spirit takes this, this truth for you because this is everything. I mean, it's, it's, I help, help me, help me, help me. I need you. Not me overcoming anything. I need you. So what it does is it, it, it knows their only hope when all is said and done is Jesus. That's it. It's not them. It's not their performance. It's not what they do. It's not how, they, how, how their approval is. It's not about how people respond at work. It's not about how many friends they have. It's not about their Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It is only about Jesus and what is true about them being in Christ. Like that, that's it at the end of the day. So what happens is a mindset on the spirit says, what do I do with my money? Oh, I'm going to engage him. I mean, well, how, how, do I, how do I put this sin to death? I'm going to engage him, not me. What do I do in this particular situation, this relationship? I'm going to engage him. I'm not going to put my mind on the flesh and just do what I want. I'm going to put my mind on the spirit, and I'm going to seek his face. I'm going to ask him what he wants and to reveal his help and his word and grab what we'll see in verse 14 to 18, the weapons given to us in our new life. This is so 
huge. You got to pay attention to this because of how this will relate to the spiritual battle. I can't be any more serious than I am with you right now. Some of you are standing nowhere near the gospel. You are standing nowhere near what you claim to believe in. I mean, just do a, do a little like pulse check of your last week. Like, did you ever set your mind on the spirit? Or was it this self-reliant, me, 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 I can overcome this, I'll figure it out, I don't need his help? That's sobering, right? That's why Paul's so loving to remind us of this. And some of you, because if, here's why. If you're not standing anywhere near the gospel in the gospel, you're not going to stand firm anywhere in the spiritual battle. That's my point. That's why he's saying that. Like, you think you have any hope at all in the spiritual war if you're not even standing in the gospel to begin with? Like, if you don't know how to do that just with the gospel, where, where are your weapons? You know where to grab them? Or are you, like, looking around? Man, I never t- felt that before. That feels new. Wow. Sort of this but Bible? That's a Bible? It's got promises? It's got truth? So why is this huge? Because being in the spiritual war, going back to Ephesians 6, has the same effect. Same effect. It's not a matter of do you believe in the war. It's are you standing? Now, I'm not saying believe in the war is part of it. That's an aspect. That's not all of it. He says so you can stand firm. He's using the same language he used in 1 Corinthians 15. Are you standing in the battle? Some of you wonder why you're held captive and strongholds aren't being broken. It's because you're not standing firm. You're passive. You're not active. You're setting your mind on the, on the flesh every day, not on the spirit. There's movement. There's engagement. This is what, what Paul's laying before us. That's why my question will never be to you, hey, are you a good person? You good people? Being good's overrated. I'm, my question is never going to be, hey, you tithe? God can't be bought. My question to you is always going to be, are you standing in the gospel, if you've been coming for any length of time, man, all I talk about, all I ask you is, where's your mindset? Where's your heart going? Where is it pressing? Where are you surrendering? Where are you looking for freedom? If you're looking for it anywhere outside of the cross of Christ, risen for you, who disarmed the demonic, you're gonna be forever lost. Like, so you have got to constantly realize that standing firm in the spiritual war is standing firm in the truths that are already true about you so you can actually grab hold of the weapons available to you in the gospel of grace. So there's actual strides. So there's actual victory. And you're ripped free from your independent, self-reliant love affair into glorious pastures of freedom and seeing Jesus and sensing Jesus and walking with Jesus and knowing his voice. So the question is, are you standing? This is Paul's point. The discussion on the spiritual realm is not simply something we believe. We're called to stand in it, which means if we do, there's going to be movement. There's going to be readiness. You won't make it in the Christian war if you don't stand. And standing doesn't mean to be still. Standing means to know where to drive your heart and mind and then how to use the weapons afforded us, which we'll talk about next week. I want to just show you a text, and then we're going to close. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, great verse. 
see a lot of um, imagery in this verse from what we've been thinking about and reading. Look at what Paul says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Christian life's easy. It is the best life, though. It's not the easiest life. But you will be. You will be afflicted in every way, but not crushed. You will be perplexed, but not driven to despair. You will be persecuted, but not forsaken. You will be struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in your and my body. That's insane. Like if you, if you did, think about it. The devil threw everything at Jesus, right? He threw it in tempting other people in the, in the fall of man. He did it in Matthew 4 in the wilderness. He tried to throw all he could at Jesus, right? And Jesus was victorious. Satan couldn't be victorious. Jesus triumphed so that he could enable you to as well. And this is what you carry with you. So Jesus comes, Jesus lives, Jesus dies, Jesus rises, and then he gifts you the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that you read in the New Testament that helped Jesus, right, be victorious. He does that, he unearths that so that you literally carry with you as a Christian the death of Christ and the life of Christ to be manifested in your body. That's what he's talking about in Ephesians 6. This is how you're not driven to despair. This is how you're not demolished. This is how you're not ultimately ruined. You're going to face affliction. Genesis 3. Yes, he's going to bruise the heel of Jesus, but Jesus will crush his head. Yes, Jesus received forsakenness, struck downness, persecution, perplexity, but ultimately he had the final say. And that's why we can too, because you actually carry this with you now. I mean, isn't this how he sent us out in Matthew 28? When he gives us the big grand edict, and we all want to start with, go make disciples, baptizing them, commanding them to obey everything I've taught you. Well, what did he say before he told you to go? Every bit of authority has been given to me. You better know that. You better know that. You better know who's sending you out. You better know who's in you. You better know who's with you. That's why he tags it at the end, and I'm with you always in case you forget verse 18 to the end of the age. So get out there on offense. It doesn't matter what he says after he says, all authority's been given to me. Doesn't matter. Play video games the rest of your life. We're all doing it. We're all doing it because he has full authority. Who cares what he asks you to do? That's not what he asks you to do. He says, go make disciples. And we're going to do that through all our spheres of influence, through all our time, talents, and treasures, through all the ways God has gifted and wired us. And he says that so we go, we wage war, we ascend the hill, and as you come over the crest, you realize there is a real aggressive enemy not man, but cosmic powers. Not flesh and blood, but authorities in the spiritual realm. And it may seem unbearable, but you have him. So you stand firm, you don't stand still in the strength and power of his might. So that when this all is said and done, you will be able to stand firm. Father, help us. Remind us of even one truth today that could carry us into this week. God, help us to be a people that stand. Help us to be a people that do not simply believe or receive something, 
but stand in real, given, heavenly, blood-bought truths. Father, help us where we're weak. Thank you that we're weak because it reminds us once again the place to find strength and where to lean. Help us set our minds on the spirit this week, not on the flesh. Help us to stand in the gospel of grace and stand firm in the spiritual realm. God, prepare us daily for what's ahead and what's at stake. God, help us right in this very moment. God, your spirit knows exactly where each one of us needs to be reminded of something. And would you remind us right now? God, I pray for those that do not know, love, serve King Jesus, that you'd be so merciful to them in these moments. They would see you as good, kind, loving, liberating. They would see you who sets captives free, who are held captive by the enemy in sin and sickness and self-idolatry and independency. God, show them how good it is to be under a good king with a great kingdom and how terrifying it is to be on our own, independent, apart from you. God, help them to repent of sin, to turn and face you and to see despite the right judgment we're due for sin, the face of Jesus Christ who humbled himself and became a servant, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Save some this morning, Father. Bring more into your army and your kingdom, not so that we might be great, but continue to make your name great. Thank you that you've already won. Give us help and grace for today. As we take the supper, remind us, nourish us, that your broken body, your shed blood did all this. In Jesus' name, amen.